four verses of that one last song. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we ask you to work in our lives tonight. We ask you to open to us your word. You would reveal the things that are there that we may grow and draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, I love the old, old story. I hope you were able to catch some of the words of that song. In a time of trouble, take time to know the old story. And if you think you're giving up anything in this life, just remember the old, old story. Amen. Beautiful. I love that hymn. And uh, just want to offer a few things here. I want you to pray uh, for the Shaw family. I believe it was Mrs. Shaw's father that passed away today. And uh, they canceled their evening service and on their way to be with the family for the funeral. So please pray with them. And they won't actually be back until after Monday. So pray for the Shaw family, if you would. And on a much lighter note, uh, the plumbing work is about two-thirds of the way done. And uh, with a little more prayer, well, with a lot more prayer and one good day's work, I'd like to have it finished maybe tomorrow afternoon and evening. So if you would pray with me about that, I would appreciate that. And uh, the plumber said, don't wait, just get it done. So that's what we're doing. And uh, you pray that we get it done right and that we don't have any problems. And so I want you to keep those things in prayer. And, of course, we'll have <clears throat> our regular visitation. And a week from tonight, it hardly seems like it's gotten that quick, but uh, we'll have the Assurance Trio from Heartland Baptist Bible College here. Uh, I am really looking forward to that. Um, they were sounding very, very good this year and enjoyed hearing them at the graduation uh, meeting and uh, it's always a pleasure to have them uh, in our church and so uh, want you to be here and if you're looking to get music be prepared they will have uh, hours and hours of CDs that you can take uh, I believe they'll carry the I know they'll have at least the three CDs from this year and usually they carry a pretty good collection uh, of previous year's music as well and so uh, load up with some good godly music and it will be a blessing to your soul and so oh and by the way there will be preaching next Thursday night not just music uh, but we'll have a lot of extra music that night and enjoy the time together alright so let's sing one more song and then we'll get into our Bible study. 541, stand with me if you would. 541, this is a beautiful song. Set my soul afire. And let's look at the words here and pay close attention to the message as we learn this beautiful song. Set my soul afire, Lord, for thy holy word.
say amen to that beautiful hymn. And you may be seated. And take your Bibles and once again let's go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. And we got through the salutation, the greeting at the beginning of the book. And let's just start in verse 1 and read down through verse 10. <coughs> Excuse me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Amen. Amen. Now, we have John, the beloved disciple here, it is going to be five times in the book of Revelation that he is going to use his name. And uh, we've already seen three of those. The last two are in chapter 21 and chapter 22 at the very end. And uh, John wants us to know something. He wants us to know that this, he is the earthly writer of this book, but everywhere his name is mentioned, Everywhere he uses this, he takes attention off of himself and puts it on the Lord Jesus Christ. The attention, we should not be drawn to the person of John in particular, other than the fact that he was the man who God chose to give us the message and as John describes himself, we see that same spirit moving forward here. He said, who also am your brother? Now, I've been in preacher's meetings in the past uh, where, especially when I was just young and out of Bible school, and even while I was a student, I remember 
being in some preachers' meetings where some very, very well-known preachers were there at the meeting. And they were always talking and doing things and, you know, speaking and sitting on the platform. And there just wasn't much opportunity for a young, know-nothing college student to come up and shake hands and talk to them. But I soon learned something. Most of the biggest names were more willing to talk than the guys who thought they were pretty big. I remember walking up to a very well-known preacher, and if I called his name, you would know it. You would remember it. He's with the Lord now. And I was just a sophomore in Bible college, and I thought, man, this guy's not going to even have time a day. And so I walked up and I said, uh, you are brother so-and-so, are you not? And he says, yes, I am. Sit down and talk with me for a few minutes. Whoa. And then I've been with others who did not have the national prominence and the testimony and the things that this man did. And you'd walk up and introduce yourself. Yeah, see you later. Bye. You know, I have no time for you. Now, I just say that by way of illustration. Here is John, who traveled with the Lord, walked with him, ate with him, uh, slept on the ground under God's stars. Three and a half years, he was Jesus' disciple. He's now, as we'll touch on this in a little bit, he, he had to be a minimum of 80 years old. That would have meant that he was... Uh, just in his late teens, early 20s, when he walked with Jesus. This is 70 years. No, it would have been in his teens. 70 years since Jesus had walked the face of the earth. He was probably well into his 90s, maybe even past 100 years old. And how he really introduces himself, he's already told us that He's bare record of the word of God. He wrote the gospel of John is basically what he's referring to. He says that God gave this revelation by his angel to me and I'm giving it to you and I'm passing it on. But the first time he gets any bit personal or reveals anything about himself, this is what he says. Who am also your brother. You know, we have this idea, and we need to get over this idea. It's, it goes both ways, and, and of course, uh, the word balance is not found in the Bible, but we need a little sanity when it comes to this point of the respect of men. And we, we of course, could spend the whole night right here uh, on this one subject. John introduces himself as a fellow servant of Jesus Christ, as a brother. Soon, in the letters to the churches, Jesus is going to condemn this doctrine we call the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It has to deal with the idea, it's got several different applications possibly, but, but the simplest is that men are held in high esteem as if they have spiritual dominion over other men. 
I was passing out tracks years ago here on 30th Avenue, and this guy comes up and he takes a track and looks at it and says, you're, you're the, uh, I can't remember what term he used, father or pastor. And, and I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church. And he says, really? And grabs my hand and kisses it. You know what religion he was, don't you? He was uh, of the Orthodox faith. And, and he was taught to revere. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I did not uh, want to, I did not feel revered. I wanted to wash my hand. Uh, there was something else I wanted to do in the flesh with my hand, but God forbade me from doing that. Uh, that's, that's not scriptural. We don't worship men. We don't worship images of men. We worship only the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other extreme, we have people who say, well, you're the pastor of the church, but understand the Bible as well as you do. Well, let's prove it. Amen? Let's live what the Bible says together. Don't tell me how much you know. Show me how much you know, because everything in this scripture is by, through, and for a local church. And we get into these extremes of total disdain for the pastor and great and too much respect. Hey, how, if you have an older brother, if you have a brother, how do you treat him? Do you treat him like a dog? Well, then you need to get right with God, amen, because you ought not do that. There, there ought to be a love and a respect, but there also ought to be an equality there if you're both serving the Lord, amen? And this is what John is saying. He says, listen, I am also your brother. Don't you get any ideas that I'm some super spiritual guy? But I'm here to direct your attention to the person of Jesus Christ. And as we said five different times, he's going to say that I'm giving this testimony. I'm bringing it to you. How many of you have read through the book of Revelation at least once? How many of you understand there's some pretty fantastic things in the book of Revelation? I mean, some unbelievable things, some things that are just hard to comprehend and understand. Amen? Now, John is also saying, listen, God chose me. I heard these things with these two ears. I saw these things with my two eyes. I am bringing to you the revelation that God has given to me. But the revelation belongs to Jesus Christ. I'm just the messenger. He says, I am your brother. Late in the book, in fact, the last time John's name, he said, I, John, he said, I fell down to worship the man that showed me these things. And he told me not to do it. He said, we only worship Jesus Christ. And John is trying to get us to pay attention. Not to John, but to the revelation that belongs, that is given by 
Jesus Christ. The second part of his introduction and companion in tribulation. Now, don't you just like that word companion? I mean, that is a, that's just a nice word. It just means someone that travels with you, someone who is a part of what's going on. They're my friend. We're working together. And he says, listen, I'm your companion. I'm walking with you down the same road. And that road is paved with this awful word called tribulation. Now, most of us think we know what tribulation is. And I'm going to challenge you that living in America, living the life and in the freedom that we have, uh, I sincerely doubt any one of us in this room could really understand what the word tribulation means. Does anybody remember what happened to John's brother, James? He was the first to die as he was captured by Herod's men in the city of Jerusalem and held there and put to death with the sword. John knew what tribulation was. I, I can tell you, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to bury someone who died because of violence done to their person and the only reason that they were harmed was because they tried to say a word in Jesus name I wonder how many times and how many people John knew who were waiting for him on the other side I mean those 11 apostles they were all gone he was the only one left and he was an old man and he was waiting for heaven But this is something also that we need to know about John. He had never compromised with the world. Whether it was the Roman world, the pagan world, or the Jewish world, or the religious world, John never sacrificed his name and his testimony for Jesus Christ. Never once did he just give in so he could get along with everybody. John was their companion in tribulation. His life was marked. Now, I, I'm not going to go in for all the uh, invented stories that John was boiled in oil and he, the oil couldn't kill him. And they made up all these strange little tales. And, and, and of course, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're harder to believe than the things that are written in the book of Revelation. But I think it's safe to say that John knew what real tribulation and suffering in this flesh was. And as he introduces himself, listen, he said, listen, I'm your brother in Christ. We're walking down this road together. I've been down it a little further than you have, but I'm your companion in tribulation. When Nero killed the Christians and blamed the fire, that was 30 years before the book of Revelation was done. Paul had been beheaded 25 years before John wrote the book of Revelation. And remember, Paul was a lot younger 
than any of the apostles were. He says, I'm your companion in tribulation. Don't you give up serving God. Amen? Don't you dip your colors. And then he lastly introduces himself. He says, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now there's an awful lot of strange things that are said about the kingdom. And of course, we've, we've spent a little bit of time on this, but let me just warn you. If you start hearing someone in a preaching tape waxing eloquent about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom this and the kingdom that and all of this, uh, I, the warning bells ought to be going off in your head. You read your New Testament. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Those terms are used in the exact same stories interchangeably as Luke recorded them, as Matthew recorded them. And I'm not quite sure who invented this thing. I do believe it's of rather recent origin that the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people and the book of Luke was written to the Gentile world and the book of Mark was written to the Roman world and the book of John was written to the whole world. If you can find me one verse in your Bible that says that, I might believe you. But there isn't one. I think it was Paul that said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Don't let somebody chop up your Bible. Now, Paul, the first thing we want to know is John is saying, listen, I'm your brother. I'm your companion. I'm your companion in tribulation. I'm your companion in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I'm your companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. These are three things that we ought to be involved in or should be experiencing to one degree and another in our life if we're going to follow that same road of faith that John followed, we're going to have to deal with this thing called tribulation. And we think we're going through tribulation because somebody looks at us cross-eyed and says, I don't want that stupid track. That's not tribulation. That's just somebody that's tired of looking for an excuse to be stupid. Amen? What are you going to do? I feel sorry for those people. Somebody turns down the truth. Sure, the old flesh wants to get angry, but the Spirit of God wants pity. Amen? But the kingdom. He's saying this present tense. Tribulation was present tense. The brotherhood was part of John's life, so... This kingdom has got to be present tense as well. So let's find this thing. Let's go to Colossians. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. 
And Paul's going to make a claim that really messes up a lot of theology books, but it's Bible, so we're just going to follow it. Amen. Acts chapter 20 and verse 25. It says, And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, shall see my face no more. Now, is that what your Bible said? Let's, let me read it right. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching what? The kingdom of God. Paul said, I've been among you preaching the kingdom of God. Now, he was preaching, he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He was on his way back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and sent and, and would literally spend the next four to six years in prison, two years in Caesarea Philippi and then the torturous journey to Rome and being shipwrecked and then he continued two years in a rented house and the book of Acts ends. Sometime after those two years in the city of Rome he stood before Caesar from what we understand he was released. He traveled and got uh, captured again under the reign of Nero and was executed uh, somewhere, depending on whose history book you read, around 68 A.D., I think is the date that sticks in my mind. But I'm sure you can find somebody else that has another date if you want to. But the truth of the matter is, Paul says, my preaching was of the kingdom. Now, we don't going to take all night to find out what Paul's preaching was, but Paul's preaching was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, do you think Paul's preaching of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved might have something to do with the kingdom? Paul said it did right there. And let's go over to Colossians here. And uh, again, this is what we mean by allowing the Bible to be its own commentary. Colossians, and we're looking at chapter 4. No, chapter 1, verse 4. There we go. Maybe not. Nope, that's not it either. I have to talk to my typist here. I don't know how I did that. Where was it here? Well, we'll come up to, I'll, I'll find this and let you know next week. Um, as Paul was writing here, I, the, the context of the verses, he was listing those who were his fellow laborers in the kingdom of God. And he was talking about, oh, there it is, verse 11 of Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verse 11 It says, In Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Now, there's another place where Jesus was teaching on the kingdom, and we go to Luke chapter 17. Paul said he preached of the kingdom of God. He had fellow laborers, present tense. John said he was a companion in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
And Luke chapter 17, and really you need to read the entire passage here because Jesus is going to be grouping some things together that we might not necessarily group together in our own hearts and mind. But in verse 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. He says, you cannot see or understand when the kingdom of God is coming. I wonder if Al Camping ever read that verse. Um, excuse me, let's get back to the subject here. Neither shall they say, lo here or there, lo, lo here or there, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. Now, we go down to verse 18. Now, Jesus is going to give some uh, testimony here. He's going to say, remember Lot's wife. He says, he, he's going to tell us that there's going to be two men and one's going to be taken. There's going to be two women grinding at the meal. One's going to be taken. The other's left. Two men in the field. One's taken. The other's left. And a lot of people go through this passage and they say, you see here, Jesus is speaking about the rapture. But we'll have to be careful because Jesus talking about many things. If you look at verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the, what's that next word? Days, plural, of the Son of Man. Jesus is not talking about one singular event here. He's talking about a time period. And this is where a lot of people get into confusion here. And the, the Lord is going to come back in the air to get his church. Acts chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all of those different passages there. The Lord is also going to come to rule and reign, the battle of Armageddon, Jerusalem, the mountain on which it's built, and Zechariah is going to be split in half, and the Jews that are in Jerusalem are going to run into the valley that is formed to hide themselves as the battle of Armageddon is fought. We're, we're talking about two completely different events. You can't come quietly and every eye see him at the same time. So therefore, it's got to be two separate events. Uh, I was reading someone's surmisal of different understandings and they said, the, the premillennial understanding is the most complicated understanding of prophecy. Well, if you'll remember the number one rule to understanding prophecy. Does anybody remember that? Remember, Peter does. We talked about it this morning. But prophecy is best understood when God tells you it has been fulfilled. That's when prophecy is best understood. And so we're going to be stepping into some things that God has not told us. In fact, he is telling us these things are yet to come. And so we're going to be very careful, all right? We're not going to just jump in there and say, I know what that's talking about, when we really don't. We better be careful, amen? But don't get caught up in trying to figure out what's going to happen 
Because God always puts something in there for you to do. Look at verse chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, how many of you have ever just stood there and walked around in circles and got all nervous about something and tried to figure it all out and you just wasted all this time and energy and got nothing accomplished? Anybody else ever been there? Okay. Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't try to figure this whole thing out. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm telling you the kingdom of God is within you. And until you see that kingdom fulfilled in the world in which you live, you better concentrate on always praying so you don't faint. Amen? That's where your effort ought to be. If you're, not, if you're going to make it until Jesus comes back. He said, listen to this parable. Here's the message. You ought always to pray and not to faint. So I love that song, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. No matter what's going on in your life, take some time and review the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that'll get you looking in the right direction. Amen? Remind yourself that Jesus is coming back as is promised here. But John says, listen... I'm your companion in the kingdom. And if you've been through our discipleship, we've spent time explaining this. The, the word kingdom refers to the realm in, over which the king has authority. That's the simplest and most complete word or definition of the word kingdom. It is the realm. It is the area. It's talking about the sphere of control. That is within the absolute dominion or the authority of a king. Now, in the early days of this country, there were many, many questions over who was in control of what. In fact, we came up with a government that was called the Articles of Confederation. How many people remember that? Predated the Constitution. And you know what it created? A big mess. And certain men gathered in Philadelphia to try to tweak the Articles of Confederation, which made the United States a separate country apart from England. That was our organizational document. Say, but what a minute, wait a minute, I thought that was the Constitution. Yes, we're getting to that. You see, they soon found they couldn't tweak the Articles of Confederation because it wouldn't work. And so they came up with a new document altogether called the Constitution of the United States. It determined who had authority. But it didn't take long for a group of men, I believe, in western Pennsylvania to say, we don't owe any taxes, and we're not paying you. And this fellow named George Washington said, you know, I've been there before. And I can go there again and took a band of soldiers up there and put down what was 
classically known as the Whiskey Rebellion, and he explained whose authority was where and when. In fact, that's what the Civil War was all about. You can, if you want to still fight the war of northern aggression, be my, be my guest. And uh, I always love it when I see that bumper sticker, the South's going to do it again. My favorite question is, why would anyone want to lose twice? Amen. But I, I imagine that's what would happen should they try it the second time. Because there's this thing called authority. And some can argue that the government has taken too much authority, and I would, I would agree with you. But let me tell you why it's taken too much authority is because when individuals refuse personal responsibility, someone has to step in. Once the government steps in, they're not stepping out. So if we need anything today, it's individuals to take personal responsibility. By the way, you'll probably hear a little bit more of that on July 3rd, but uh, we'll wait till we get there. But this idea of the kingdom, when is the last day, time you woke up in the morning and asked Jesus to exercise his authority in your heart and life throughout the day? Ooh, that got silent. This is what John means by your companion in the kingdom. This is what Paul means by the preaching of the kingdom. This is what he meant by co-laborers in the kingdom. No, the church is not the kingdom. But he wants us to prepare for his coming kingdom when he rules and reigns, when the Prince of Peace rules from the city of peace. That is the physical kingdom of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, Pharisees, the kingdom of God is coming, but you're not going to see it. Because until you're willing to let him rule and reign in your life, he's never going to rule and reign in your county and in your world. You've got to surrender. And that surrender is a daily thing. The prophecies of this book must be fulfilled. Don't put yourself on the wrong side of prophecy, my friend. Amen? We're not getting anywhere near where I wanted to get tonight. Let's try the patience of Jesus and then we'll, be in, then we'll end with that. John is describing himself as the companion in tribulation, the companion in the kingdom, and the companion in patience. Luke 21 and verse 19, Jesus gives us a command here. In your patience possess ye your souls. Now when we read the rest of this and put it in its context, Jesus is talking about the end times here in Luke chapter 21. He's talking about earthquakes. He's talking about wars. He's talking about all of the things that the book of Revelation is going to give us much more detail about. And he says, now, in your patience, possess ye your souls. Now, is John saying, in your patience, or in the patience of Jesus Christ? 
John says, I'm your companion, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you are familiar with James chapter 1? Tribulation works what? You got to say it loud, the air conditioner's on. Tribulation works? Now, we're supposed to let patience have its perfect work. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing in your life. Amen? Now let's go to Romans chapter 5. In Romans, Paul is explaining this thing of patience. Now please be careful how you answer this question. But how many of us are in need? How many would admit I'm in need of more patience than I have? I mean, my hand is up. I, I need more patience. It... It's easy to ask other people to be patient with me. Why then is it so hard to be patient with others? Well, we're going to find out because patience is a work that God does in your heart. I love being around older men of God. Men that have walked the road. Men that have endured hardness as soldiers of Jesus Christ. I, I love to be around men that are craftsmen. That know what they're doing. Uh, I, like, I like our plumber. He's an older guy. And he just stands there and looks at things. And he puts up with my exuberance and impatience. And says, yeah, yeah, I guess you could do it that way. That's fine. Well, let's put it together. But I, I remember old Mr. Sheffy. He wasn't that old when I knew him. He was probably in his late 50s, early 60s. And he was, his main thing was auto body work. And I was working with Brother Clayton. And some of you may remember the old ugly van. Does anybody remember that big old, I mean, my kids do. But few people remember the old ugly van. We built that in Mr. Sheffy's shop. And uh, we were painting it. And he said, yeah, let's let's sit down and have a cup of coffee. And I, I'm going, I don't need coffee. I was young and high strung. I didn't need coffee or donuts. Or, I mean, I was ready to go. And so I'd go out there and I'd be working for an hour. I mean, just sweat pouring everywhere and dust flying. And he'd come out and take a look at it. And in 10 minutes, he'd get more done than I'd spent the last hour and a half doing. That's patience. It's knowing how and where to apply your effort to get something accomplished. Amen? How are you going to learn patience? Well, it's through tribulation. Uh, John is your companion in tribulation. Amen? And let's look what it says. Um, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Now, how many of you could use a little more of the love of God shed abroad in your hearts? 
Do you think that's what John was talking about here when he says, your companion in patience of Jesus Christ? I mean, there's a patience that you need to have and possess in your life just to hold on to the right thing, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, until the boat stops rocking, until the storm passes over. But there's a patience that God wants to give you and work down in your soul that you can only get from Him. It belongs to Him. It's not yours. And He puts it in there. It's the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. It's known that no matter what happens, God loves me, and that's all that matters. Whether I'm suffering or whether I'm full of joy, whether I'm all alone or whether I'm within the fellowship of the brethren, whether I can see the working hand of God or whether I'm all shut up and closed off from everything that I understand. I'm still waiting. See, that idea of patience includes long-suffering. And so you don't even need a dictionary to look up the word long-suffering, now do you? It just means long and suffering. Most of us don't like those words. They're not pleasant to us. They're not comfortable. I always get worried about these people that talk about their comfort zone. Hey, how about your suffering zone? Amen? How about that long suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ? John could speak from experience. In all reality, probably right at a hundred years old or just a little over it. And he still describes himself as our brother and our companion. I love a man like that. How about you? The companion in tribulation. A companion in the kingdom of God. A companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. God had done a work in the life of John. He knew that no matter what was going on around him, through him, that there's only one thing that was important, and that was the love of God shed abroad. That means other people could see God's love through John's life. Now, wouldn't that be a good goal? Don't you think there'd be a blessing in grabbing a hold of that truth that's in this book called Revelation and hearing it not only with our ears but with our hearts and allowing God to help us get through the suffering and the trial of this life by understanding the patience of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night we thank and praise you for the man called John. But, Lord, we're so thankful that he did not identify himself as our great exalted leader, but as a brother and a companion. Lord, 
We do not pray for tribulation to come in our lives. But there's not a one of us here that doesn't need more of your work, of your patience in it. And we know that only comes through tribulation. So maybe, Lord, our best prayer tonight would be that we would surrender ourselves to your hand to take us through those fires that try that we may have that patience that we may be an actual friend a companion a traveling a companion a traveling friend with John Lord we pray that this idea of the kingdom of God would be real to us that we would want to make that throne room yours each and every day that we would exalt you in your plans and your wishes and your desires that you would reign in our hearts and in our bodies that no matter what adversity faces us the world would still see the love of God shed abroad in our hearts we ask you to work during this time of invitation in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, as we normally do, we'll let you add to it as the Holy Spirit is directing you. If you'd like to slip out and spend a few minutes praying at the altar, the altar is open.